is Novel Approach with James Soden, Episode 7, for June 16th, 2022. Short Stories with Maxine Beach. Jim Soden welcoming you to another uh, segment of Novel Approach. We've been on hiatus for a while and have changed the format a bit. And so uh, today we have uh, one of our first guest speakers, and I will be introducing her in a second. Uh, This is going to be uh, part of the new formatting, and we hope that uh, you enjoy it and it works well. Uh, We will encourage you, if you like the podcast, uh, to subscribe and uh, let us know how it went and what what you enjoyed or did not enjoy about it. So here we go. Uh, Our guest today is Maxine Beach. She is a writer, uh, obviously, has uh, written and published a novel back in 2008. She's written a lot of short stories and poems. She has uh, a number has just recently received an award. Uh, well, not an award, but a uh, notification that one of the publishers of uh, her short stories was bringing out a new edition, a collection of the best uh, of their publication. And uh, I believe Maxine has three items included. Yes. Oh, so congratulations on that. So this is uh, Maxine Beach. She is the English department chair at a local college. Uh, she's had a lot of experience, and I'm just thrilled to have her here. She's not only um, uh, a colleague and a, uh, and a another writer, but a good friend. So Maxine, I know that you went to Forest Park Community College here in St. Louis, and then ultimately ended up getting your MFA at uh, Louisiana State University. What happened in between? <laughs> did you graduate from Forest Park or just do the hours? Did Where did you get your bachelor's degree and so on? Um, first, thanks, Jim, for inviting me to be on. I appreciate, appreciate it. This is fun. Um, yeah, things happened between uh, uh, going to Forest Park and going to LSU and attending LSU. So I got my AA from uh, St. Louis Community College at Forest Park, and then I transferred to Webster University, where I studied. I actually studied film. I had this idea that I was going to be a documentarian. I really wanted to make documentaries. I started studying in school as a journalist and actually paid for most of my school with journalism scholarships. So <laughs> I was supposed to be a journalist. <laughs> okay. And then uh, uh, decided I really wanted to, to make film. So I studied film at Webster and then <laughs> things never go as planned, do they? When I finished um, school, I got my bachelor's in communications from Webster. I needed a job because I was broke. And uh, so I became a copywriter for a corporation. So I did that for six years. 
um, and learned a lot about how corporations function because as copywriter, I worked with the top executives. I also wrote their speeches for them. I did a lot for HR for the company as well. Mm-hmm. And that's actually why I went to graduate school. I had no intention of going to graduate school, none. I figured if I wanted to be a creative writer, I could learn just by reading, you know, and writing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was never really something I planned to study. But um, while at the corporation, the corporation started not doing very well. And so they were trying to figure out ways to get employees more invested in making uh, the corporation stronger. When I was first hired, uh, it was called CPI and it was here in St. Louis. When I was first hired by CPI, they were doing great. Uh But uh, their product was uh, photography, those those portrait studio photos from the 80s. Remember, Mm -hmm. that was their product. And and uh, remember Fox Photo overnight development. That was their thing. And digital was coming in. And so they were starting to lose money. So anyway, they um, asked me to do creative thinking seminars for their employees because they wanted everybody to join in and try to figure out how do we save this corporation. And so I gave a seminar and had so much fun and the people had so much fun. They asked me to do another one. And I thought, I really want to be a teacher. This was fun, like a lesson plan and getting people involved and excited and learning. So I decided, huh, I really like creative writing I, without understanding what I was getting myself into. I had no clue, right? I just was like, I really like creative writing. And um, so I could be a writing teacher. So <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I uh, applied to graduate schools, ended up uh, choosing Louisiana State University and uh, got my MFA from LSU. And while, and I have one more thing to say about that. While I was at LSU, I decided that I wanted to teach at community colleges because I went to a community college and um, I was a little lost soul. Let me tell you, I was a, a troubled teen and it had it not been for community college, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to go to a university, right? And right. so I wanted to give back. And if I was going to teach, I want, and I was going to have fun because I just thought teaching will be the best thing ever. I'll have fun. You know, if I'm going to have fun in my job, I want to also give back to uh, the community. So that was my thing. So LSU hired me to teach full time after I finished there. I won a teaching award while I was there. And so they hired me. And the idea was that I would work my way up the, you know, ladder at LSU, but uh, stuff happened and I ended up going to Texas and working at Austin Community College and then decided to see just on a lark if I could get a job at St. Louis Community College, you know, so um, that happened. <laughs> so that's that's what went on in those years in between. <laughs> yeah. We get to these things uh, by many different routes. Uh, So it's it's always interesting to hear how someone else 
uh, did it and uh, the uh, all the uh, enjoyable parts and, and the trials and tribulations along the way. So, yeah. so um, you got here in the early 2000s, I guess. How was, long? Um, it was 2008 when I came back. I, I, I'm not from St. Louis, but I had been married and uh, my first marriage my husband got a job in St. Louis. So that's how I ended up in St. Louis in the first place Mm -hmm. and didn't know what I was doing with myself. And that's why I enrolled at the community college because I was just sort of (laughs) floundering. Like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) What am I doing? And then uh, remained in St. Louis for 11 years before I left. And um, I don't, I'm not to put down St. Louis, but I'm not sure why I came back. I think it it has, I mean, I wanted to see if I could teach where I went to school, but I also think St. Louis has some sort of hypnotic effect on people, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There are a lot of people who came for a temporary stay and they're still here many years later. So yeah, it's, it's so weird. Like I, (laughs) really wanted to come back. And then when I came back, I'm like, why, why did I want to come back here? I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I just kept remembering all the free museums. Like they have so many free museums. I want to be able to go to museums for free, you know? Right. Yes. So, yeah. And I love the people here. The people in St. Louis are just really great. Anyway. So you're uh, when you came back in 2008 and you're, novel was published in 2008. You must have been working on it um, in the years before that. How long did it take you? Uh, I had an idea for it probably five, six years out before I actually finished it. It took a few years for me to write. I'm a really slow writer. I kept changing the structure of the book. I, I'm interested in um, short story cycle, and that's what this book is, where you take uh, kind of a modernist approach to fiction, where you take many, many short stories and weave them together to create right. a novel. But that requires a lot of like figuring out how the short stories should go together and what the, I'm doing one now and it's taken me forever. Just, I like, I write all the little pieces, but then I'm like, okay, how do I weave this together to make a a larger narrative? So that took a long time for me to figure out. So the book was published, as you said, right as I was moving here. Um, And so that, created stress for my publisher because he was in Texas and he was hoping that we could work together closely to promote the book. Yes. But, yeah. But when I, he was just a small independent publisher and uh, didn't have a lot of money to, you know, travel and stuff. So we had to do a lot of phone calls and I kept going back to Texas uh-huh. Um but fortunately, unlike what I understand from bigger publishers, uh, if a bigger publisher takes on an unknown writer, they don't really give a lot of promotion to that right. writer. It's really up to the writer. So um, 
I felt fortunate that I had this person who <clears throat> invested money and time and energy into me and really did want to help promote the book. So in that way, I felt really fortunate. But yeah, my move kind of threw <laughs> some <laughs> objects into the machinery that didn't need to be there. But yeah. Well, you know, just as a quick aside, and then I want to get back to um, to your book. Um, a current member of your department had the same kind of problem on his first novel, ended up with a small publisher in uh, Chicago and has a, an option for a second uh, novel. The, the particular person has written at least two or three since then, but because he got so little support from the publisher, he doesn't really want to go and, and uh, execute that option. And then yeah, you, um, I, 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 uh, I had a two book contract too. Mm-hmm. And I was so unhappy. I like, I was really happy that Francois was into promoting the book, but I was unhappy with distribution. When I signed that contract, he told me he had distribution set up. And uh, whatever he set up fell through. And so uh-huh. then it became this piecemeal kind of trying to get the book into bookstores and stuff. And I did a lot of that legwork. So I was unhappy. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, with most small presses, you know, it's hard to make money. And so New Belleville Press eventually had to claim bankruptcy. And so when that happened, I was released from that contract. Uh, and so I wasn't writing anything while I was under contract. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I didn't want New Belleville to have ownership of anything that I wrote. <laughs> and so I didn't write anything and I didn't start writing until, um, I mean, I wrote little short stories, but nothing right. big. I didn't start working on a bigger project until I was released from the contract. But now I'm stuck with, I have no one interested in publishing, <laughs> you know, so it's starting from. Well, you know, the even the difference between a small publisher and a, a, a more established one, uh, another former member of your department uh, did a study of, um, Oh, what's your name? Who wrote Bell Jar? Oh, my God. Sylvia Plath. Sylvia Plath. Thank you. For a minute, I was like, I don't know this. Why should know this? Yeah, Sylvia Yeah, Plath. that that happens to be a lot nowadays. But uh, <laughs> she wrote a brilliant study of Sylvia Plath. It was accepted by the uh, some division of the press at the University of Texas in Austin. And they did a beautiful job with printing, but all of the things that they had promised her about um, advertising, about distribution, all of that, she ended up having to do it herself, pay for a lot of those things. And and so um, uh, I think she wants to do a follow-up volume, but uh, she's not not going to go back to to the same publisher. And uh, for um, with a major publisher, especially a first writer, um, a person is very lucky if they get 10 percent uh, royalties. 
and uh, sometimes it's less. So, you know, they they put their money with uh, the big name people that they know they can sell the books. So, yeah, some of my friends were not happy that I was going to work with New Belleville because they were so little and so new. (laughs) They'd only published one book before mine, but I wanted more control over Mm -hmm what went in the book and what the book looked like. And I just wanted control. And I uh, knew that a big publisher, I have friends who have been published by big publishers. So I knew what that was about. And so I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just try this and uh, it can't hurt. Can it? I don't know. (laughs) Um, It was a fun ride. We had fun together. Um, Francois, the publisher, and I had a had a good time initially until I moved and made everything <laughs> more complicated and annoying. But yeah, um, I between the two of us, I got readings all over the country, so that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to different places and and reading in different communities and being well received and getting just a taste of what that feels like. That was that was fun. Right. Always yeah. a good thing to to have an audience that you can actually see and they can ask questions and you can do the readings and gauge their response. Uh, okay, I'd like to go ahead and start shifting toward the book itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I would like to say, you mentioned the uh, it's really a kind of a collection of short stories. Um, when I read it uh, structurally, uh, and, and somewhat thematically, it reminded me of uh, two other writers, um, Ernest Hemingway, with um, his Nick Adams stories, where you have all the different stories, but uh, they're tied together by the central character, which is pretty much like yours. And uh, Gene Toomer's Kane, which is... Um, uh, at least in appearance more like it, it, it's there, it's held together by a central theme. But he had, where you have the poems uh, between at the beginning of each of the chapters, he had um, uh, uh, vignettes, I guess I'd call them, uh, verbal p- uh, portraits uh, of different uh, women uh, and that person then would would be reflected in the story that followed. And his was set up in, in three parts uh, where he had the um, the short pieces there like that at the in the first part. Second part was straight out short stories. Again, the same theme. And the third part was a novella. And it uh, was all held together thematically. So it was kind of interesting reading yours and thinking about, uh, because as a, as a writer and editor and, and, and reader, you know, I think about structure and all of these other things as well. I guess it's just, you know, the teacher and I can't get away from it. My wife complains that she says, can't you just read it and enjoy it? Yes, I do. But you know, I, I know I also pick up on all these other deep things. So, so um, you wrote the book. Um, what kinds of uh, well, what interested you in this particular uh, topic? Um, 
what uh, kinds of problems did you run into uh, and and what's your impression thinking back now uh, 18 years later i know 18 years oh my god <laughs> i'm sorry did <laughs> <laughs> No. I didn't mean that. <laughs> so I was writing just short stories. I, I've always been interested in the short story cycle or that form, although I haven't read the two books that you were telling me about. Louise Erdrich does a, a bunch of novels and, and short stories that go together mm -hmm. as novel about this whole community. William Faulkner has this whole county. <laughs> Tim O'Brien did... Uh, uh, things we carry, you know, and it has all these like different points of view. And I just really like that kind of um, shattered structure because of the kind of world that we live in. Mm -hmm. It's so fast paced. And so uh, everything's compartmentalized in these little bites, you know, and it just, it, it seems to be accelerating society in this way because of technology and so I'm really interested in describing that in fiction, like making that kind of, I don't know, uh, articulate it, but that's why I'm interested in it. So I started with uh, the first short story in the book was one of the first short stories that I managed to get published before I even started the book. Uh, in a major publication. And so I thought, okay, well, that's out there in the world. So Can I Get a Hallelujah was published by Nerve.com, which at the time was a big deal website. And it was one of the first like online publications that was national and a big deal. And um, so I thought, okay, well, that story's out there. So I'm going to build off that story. And I am really interested in issues of class and race. Those are things that I really like to play with in my fiction. But because I'm not a genius and my stories aren't the most brilliant things in the world and, uh, you know, and I'm nobody, it was hard to get those <laughs> stories published. So I thought, well, what do people like? What does everyone like uh, mm -hmm. sex they like sex mm -hmm. so i'm going to write about sex <laughs> but i'm going to build in stories that work with race and class but i'm going to start with the sex because then people will pay attention oh sex you know they'll be titillated <laughs> oh i want to read this and then get my ideas about who we are in terms of structure societal structure you know how we deal with race how we deal with uh, class and so once you know that then when you read the book you might read it a little differently because you'll see like it builds up to uh, Yacht Man which is this upper classless woman who's struggling this unnamed character mm -hmm. is struggling and she's gone through and once you see the race too you see how she keeps going through these one night stands and or relationships with men of all different races. And so she's gone through this horrible, like up and down ride. And so she decides to try to date a white, wealthier man. Right. So 
she thinks, okay, this is the answer. This is going to solve my relationship problems. I'm just going to go with the thing that, you know, we're all supposed to want. And he's perhaps one of the worst of her choices. <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like that is, we shouldn't be materialistic. We shouldn't try to find partnership based on how much money a person makes or what color they are, you know, what social class they are, but who they are as essential human beings. So she so she, yeah, so that's why we have this Yacht Man story. And if I can talk about Yacht Man for a second since I'm talking sure. about it. Um, it may not be the best story in the collection as far as like craft, but for me, it was really fun because I came up with the idea from uh, America's Most Wanted, you know, that old show. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I like those stupid crime shows. And so uh, there was a guy who would rape women on yachts and I saw it on America's most wanted. And I thought I'm going to write this. So again, separate from the book, I just thought I'm going to write this yacht man story. And then I wrote a draft that doesn't look anything like what ended up in the book, but I just wrote a draft so I could remember it and maybe come back to it later. And uh, then when I was writing the book and I was trying to work on racing class, racing class, Oh yeah. The Yacht Man story. So um, I just thought it was funny that I found it off America's Most Wanted. So I tell my students to do that, you know, look around the world, find um, um, stories out in the world outside of yourself. So a lot of people think that this book is based on me and maybe a little bit of it is just a little, but uh I like looking out in the world and then taking, you know, ideas right. from actual life and uh, beyond me and and bringing it into my work. Yeah. I like the comment that you made in that regard um, of the response of some of your friends uh, when, about the book and about you mm -hmm. and particularly the ending then. Yeah. So <laughs> there, I to as I was writing the book, I was doing a lot of readings to test how the stories were working on audiences. So I did these, I didn't just do readings. I did whole performances. Like I had a, an opera singer uh, sing between stories at one mm -hmm. of the readings. I had a couple of students of mine who were musicians um, come and play with me. And I had the, and the reason why I asked these particular students is this little couple who are now married and have kids and are grown-ups and stuff but at the time they were still like you know college student age um he looked kind of like a jesus to mm -hmm. me and i have a story that in story so i i had him dress up like jesus and play uh uh he was playing the drums and his girlfriend now wife uh was playing bass and i had them do these riffs while i was reading this one particular story and then at the end, because he was behind drums, people really couldn't see how he was dressed. And then the end, he stood up and kind of did this <laughs> Jesus thing. So I did these like performance art things uh, to to get attention. Again, it's always about I, I, I need to attract attention so that people can hear the story. So anyway, I was doing a reading and performance of the Boxer Boy series and um, in in the Boxer Boy trilogy in the book, the unnamed character is basically abused, domestic violence, 
And um, so I was reading one of the stories, the one where she's abused. And one of my friends came up to me after the reading crying and said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. I had no idea that happened to you. <laughs> and I was like, it didn't. This is fiction. I made it up. <laughs> But anyway, another friend of mine was reading the book and um, a friend from graduate school, and he's a great writer. I, I'm going to plug him. Scott Standridge, he writes horror fiction. Anyway, uh, he was very concerned, he said, as he was reading the book. He was, he was super concerned and thought, oh, my God, what happened to my friend Max? You know, she, oh, what is what is she doing down there in Texas? Oh, my God. And then he said he got to the end. Uh -huh. the, and I don't want to give it away in case anybody wants to buy the book, but right, the Jesus yes. story, he said he got to the end and was like relieved because uh, there's magical realism in it. And, it, and so he's like, oh, OK, this isn't about her. This isn't a memoir. <laughs> and he told me that. And I was like, you know, dude, I'm fine. <laughs> but to me, that means, OK, it's working if they believe it. You know? Yes, right. So. But the bad thing is that because people think that it's real, I get people get the wrong impression of me. And I've had that a lot, a mm -hmm. lot, a lot, a lot um, about just me as a human being like men, because it's erotica. People assume me <laughs> <laughs> that I, I'm actually kind of a prude, you know, uh, people <laughs> assuming that, you know. I'm just out there having a fun time and having sex with everybody. And it's like, no, I'm married. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty happily monogamous. I'm not even poly, you know, I'm just sort of, you know. And on the front cover, it says a novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that, that says a lot to me that it's working when people believe it. It's been a long time. I, would like to do other things besides this and the what you mentioned in the opening uh with uh toadsuck review mad hatter press uh toadsuck review is coming out of uh university of arkansas and conway and uh the university stopped funding it and so the publisher mad hatter press started publishing toadsuck review anyway long story short i published some of my uh, short fiction, uh, flash fiction in one of the issues of Toadsuck Review, and it was still uh, being published by the university. And then when Mad Hatter Press came out, they decided to do a best of, and they chose three of my pieces to be in the best of, um, which was an honor. Mm -hmm. yeah. But those stories are what I'm doing now, and I kind of want to get away from the sex stuff. I don't want to be painted forever, you know. If I die tomorrow and I'm painted as the erotic writer, it's like, okay, I had fun writing about sex and delving into the, the darkness, what it's like to be a woman and be sexual and that mm -hmm. darkness and how dangerous that can be for women. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed writing the book and I enjoyed promoting the book. But as you said, it's been a long time. It's been 18 years. And <laughs> it's like, I really need to show well, that. Well, one I, of the I things you said a couple of minutes ago, Max, uh, you didn't want to give away the ending so that uh, people might want to buy the book. Um, 
it's unfortunate that uh, the only place I could find to get it was on Amazon for 50 some odd dollars. And I don't see people really pop uh, for that. So Yeah, I don't understand that. And um, Francois, before uh, New Belleville went under, was trying to get Amazon to, to take that, to stop that. Uh, because that wasn't him either. We had no idea who was selling the book at that price, but what it does, and I've noticed that on other people's books, what it does is it like stops the book from being sold at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and since, and so Francois was selling it on Amazon at a fair price, I think it was $15 or something, but uh, when he went bankrupt, he stopped selling it. So now the only, because he can't sell it legally. So now the only uh, way to get a hold of it is used copies. And the, you know, I have a very minimal amount of copies that I own. So, mm-hmm. you know, that I save for if I ever want to go to do a reading of it again or something, or to give to, uh, people who are interested, friends and colleagues, but um, Francois can't sell them by law. And so the only way to get them out there, unless I republish, and he did give me that right, like I could find a, a another publisher and republish. He, he signed back the rights over to me. But I imagine with Amazon, what they had from him was just um, an inventory that they acquired. And so, you know, if they've got 100 books or 50 books or whatever it is, um, that creates a, a, a bigger demand. It may also be that it's being sold in um, the marketplace, but that it didn't say that. It looked like an Amazon um, sale. Um, the thing to do there would be to actually um, provide Amazon the uh, digital copy so they could do their print on demand and then you could price it however you wanted. Yeah, I should do that. I have it. I mean, uh, I have all the files. Francois mm-hmm. gave them all to me and turned everything over to me uh, except the books. Right. And so, um, yeah, I guess I should do that. <laughs> well, I'm a terrible know, it, business person. I am an awful business person, as I guess <laughs> most artists are. That's, you know, one thing that I learned is why we need agents. I don't have an agent. I should get an agent because they take care of the, you know, business end of it. So, yeah. Although finding an agent's like finding a publisher for <laughs> your. I know. You're established enough now. You might be able to do it, but I know um, another member of your department uh, had tried and tried to get um, uh, an agent to handle her books, and it, it she never did. Yeah, uh, it's hard. I tried too before yeah. uh, I published Neurotica. I, I or. Francois did, I tried to find an agent and couldn't get Mm -hmm. an agent. And a friend of mine out in Portland had an agent for years and I'm a big fan of her work, but it never went 
anywhere. She's a travel writer now. She gave up on mm. writing fiction mm. because even with an agent, she could not get anyone to touch her work. It was unfortunate for her. She was a little bit ahead of her time. Oh. <laughs> uh, she was writing for Gen X and Millennials, and the publishers weren't there yet. I see. And I kept thinking this tongue in cheek, this political satire, this humor, all the stuff that she has that I wish I had that kind of, you know, <laughs> ability. Uh, they just don't get it yet, you know. And so she had an agent got it, but could not sell her work. So she finally self-published a couple of things and then just moved on and became a travel writer and is doing quite well as a travel writer. Oh, you know? well. So. She gets to, I'm, I think it's a better choice. She gets to go all over the world, you know? Mm-hmm, and, right. And <laughs> Although I imagine this past two years, she hasn't done an awful lot of that. She, I actually had her come talk to a, um, a creative nonfiction class I was teaching and it was over Zoom, academic Zoom. So I could have guest writers from oh, anywhere. Okay. So I had her, uh, come and talk about travel writing and give some, I had made an assignment about place and she talked about that. She was just taking the COVID slant, like, and she was the piece that I had the students read was all about, here's a place that you can go. That's semi remote. You can, you know, rent this cabin and here, you know, the town, this is the protocols for COVID. Some places don't have it. These are when you're traveling there, if you take a car, this is, you know, be careful of this town because nobody's wearing a mask. And, you know, and she like had all of this, like she built that into her. She just did it domestically in the United States, uh, all car travel and gave a lot of advice about how to stay safe during ah. the pandemic. Ah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think I don't know if I answered all parts of your question or not. Well, I think uh, we'll find out when the um, when our listeners <laughs> give us some response, uh, and I'm sure they they may want to say, get rid of the host and uh, bring in Maxine to oh, handle this. Uh, <laughs> you flatter me, thank you. <laughs> well, let me go ahead and do uh, my closing here uh, because we're going to have you back next week as well. Oh, awesome! Um, yeah, that'll so. Be uh, this um, podcast, of course, is brought to you, the novel approach by Fairhound 7 Productions, Something Different Network, and Uncommon Sense Radio 4.0, the podcast. We hope if you've enjoyed it, that you will subscribe and listen and tell your friends. Uh, until next week, thank you. This is Jim Soden and our guest, Maxine Beach. Thank you.